Before we begin, I'd just like to remind you that this episode is also available as a video. So if you'd like to check out myself and Andy in all our uh, glory, then head over to youtube.com forward slash at Pottywood. Hello everybody and welcome to... Oh god, it's way too warm to be jolly, but hello, hi, welcome to Pottywood. I'm one of your slowly melting hosts, Steve Hester, and there's another fellow over there. Introduce yourself, I'm too warm. Yes, we are in the middle of a UK heat wave, mm. which is why, one, obviously can't be bothered shaving. Two, we're doing something incredibly stupid by wearing black t-shirts. Yeah. And three, we're still bringing you episodes of Partywood, minus a guest this week. We yes. are back to the old format. We've had some people saying, what's going on with what's in the box? You know, Charlie Wilson's war was like a month and a half ago. Or Rocky Balboa, depending on which uh, which which side of the fence you came down on, whether or not you were paying attention. And did you mm. actually watch the other Rocky films in the interim? No, did a buggery. In other words, then we are going ahead with Charlie Wilson's war. This is a, a nice, easy in-between episode and at the end of the show, we're going to let you know what the next evolution of Pottywood is going to be moving forward. Yes, because we've got a lot of interesting things coming up over the next few weeks and a lot of big surprises. But we're going to get into those in a bit. Yes, because right now it's time to focus on the tell them the year, Andy. Would this be? The year after 2006 and before 2008, by any chance, that you, you have no what? recollection of even existing in? Yeah, yeah. I think it may just be, yeah. 2007, of course. Steve's year that he seemingly watched absolutely nothing. I have yet to find a film we have pulled from the box from 2007 that you have seen. I have no idea what were even the, like, the big releases that came out that year. Because a lot of the stuff that we talk about when we do What's in the Box are the things which have been certified fresh. They're, they're kind of like the the more esoteric offerings of a given year. But yeah, I honestly have got no idea what came out. Into, I think there was a Harry Potter film. Spider-Man 3 came out that year. I saw that. Pirates of the Caribbean 3. Did that come out in 2007 as well? I believe that came out as well. So you saw the yeah. real tentpole kind of stuff. But there's a lot of stuff in there you yeah. hadn't seen. But yes, this is Charlie Wilson's War. It's starring Tom Hanks, Julia Roberts, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Amy Adams. Um, and it is it is a story about how a single senator from Texas was able to effectively kickstart the covert war in Afghanistan in the early 80s, which gave the Russians a bloody nose and also gave the, the Mujahideen enough ammunition to effectively take over the country and build a dictatorship in the form of uh, the Taliban. So basically mm. it's Rambo 3, but with better actors. Yes, and actually speaking of Rambo 3, if you don't know about it, there is a note at the end of Rambo 3 talking about how, uh, you know, he's he's all behind the Mujahideen and um, and the, the, the freedom fighters that are out there. And it's amazing how, as it mentions in the film, you'll see, you think that something good is going to happen and then it gets presented to you, but the future is still down the road. And you never really know if what you've got is actually going to be good for you. But yeah, uh, you've got 
Charlie Wilson, who was a real man. Uh, I think the last time that we had a real person was Breach, uh, going way back when. Um, who? Yes. Yeah. Um, who actually? I said I said the other day. I can't remember the 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 guy that he was based on, but he died recently. Um, but uh, as far as I know, Charlie Wilson died a few years ago. So I did do a li- little bit, not an awful lot. He was basically googling while I was on the toilet. Um, about Charlie Wilson, and yeah, he he got into a few little scrapes in his personal life, basically being by being a heavy drinker, decent womanizer. He got into a few troubles with some DUIs and whatnot. Um, but he was also the kind of person that had the ear of a number of important members in Congress. And Julie Roberts' character basically rings him up one day. She's a massive a socialite, a millionaire, and she wants to do good around the world and promoting the Christian ideology. And she says, look at all the people that's, that's suffering over in Afghanistan. You need to go over there and do something about it. He does, and it kickstarts his involvement in trying to do something to help these people, which ultimately results in the ever so slight and, uh, what, what did they call it, the subterfuge Yes, good work. Behind, yes, thank you. Uh, behind funding a secret war in an in another country, and you've got Philip Seymour Hoffman in there as uh, a guy called what is it? Just, just. I can't remember his name. What's his What's his name? When did you watch this movie? I watched it last night. I've, I I've watched it five season. weeks ago. Yeah, okay. Then what's his name then? I I don't remember from five weeks ago. His, his name's Philip Seymour Hoffman. <laughs> It doesn't matter who he is. Gust. It's just the fact that he's there. Gust. There you go. Gust. It's Gust. It's Gust with a T, which I so think is Gustafson. Yeah, or, or Gustavo. Yeah. Or he, he claims that he's Greek, so it'd be Gustalophatus or something like that. Anything um, Alfred Molina could pay. And he works for the CIA, and he is the middleman between uh, Charlie Wilson and the, the weapons dealers of uh, the Middle East and beyond. And in terms of a cast, it has got a stellar cast, in addition to yes. the, the few that I mentioned earlier. Um, you've also got three members of the Iron Man family. You've got John Slattery, who plays the, the head of the CIA. Yes. Who, who played uh, Howard, Howard Stark. Stark, Tony Stark's father. Um, you've got, where is his name here? You've got Farhan Tahir, who played one of the assistants to the, the Pakistani prime minister, who played Raza. Tony Stark's enemy in the original Iron Man. I'm sure we've uh, got images for people who have no idea who they are. Oh yeah, they'll be popping up on the screen. And where's his name? I can't remember. You've got. You've also got the guy who, who played. Oh god, he's he's in there somewhere. Anyway, you've got the guy who played, um, Jensen, who was like the spark behind yes. Iron Man himself. So three very important people in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and of course. Uh, you've got the guy who played Balin, Ken Stott. <laughs> yes, I knew you'd pick that one up. It's, it's Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Yes. Of course I'm going to do it. So it's a very, very light and frothy political affair. Unlike Breach, which was pretty heavy and and a little bit ponderous at times, this does keep going. There's always something new. There's always some new development, some new moment which is pushing the uh, the envelope further. And it's written by Aaron Sorkin, of the West Wing, 
So you know that the dialogue is going to be witty. It's going to be rapid fire. It's going to be well-informed, well-researched. And I think a lot of that does come across in it. There's very few moments where there's any kind of pause for breath in it. The characters react very naturally and the performances come across very, very naturally as well. Yes. Some some of the best performances. I mean, Tom Hanks holds it together. I think he's he's naturally one of the most likable people on screen. Mm-hmm. No matter what role he kind of takes up, a rumor goes around that he nixed a scene a of Charlie uh, Wilson doing cocaine in the movie. Uh, but no, apparently it's not true because Tom Hanks uh, turned around and said if the script would have called for it, he would have done it. I don't think I can cope with seeing Tom Hanks doing cocaine. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen it myself. No. Unless you've seen some of his interviews on Graham Norton, where you can swear that he has. Uh, you also have uh, Julia Roberts uh, turning in another fantastic performance. Yeah, but I, I honestly, there was something about that. I don't know why it felt like the chemistry between her and Tom Hanks was a little bit miscast. I, I don't know why. She's great. He's great. But the relationship between the two, I wasn't really i i don't know it, it it came across as a little bit faltering at some yeah. point i don't know why it is kind of hard to believe that in one scene that tom hanks is betting julia roberts that mm-hmm. the disbelievability is there but running away with the movie it's our man philip seymour hoffman absolutely yeah. runs away with it in every single thing he appears in he runs away with he, the movie he, he he just he is a magnetic actor. He's one of those very very few actors really that you can watch, and he completely immerses himself in a scene. You always knew that when you were seeing him, he he'd spent nights, weeks burying himself in the script, doing his research. Even if new pages came along, that he'd spend hours just nailing it down so the dialogue would just be tripping off his tongue. And it, it does it in this. I think he's a little bit underused, to be honest, but he does have some fantastic moments, like when he's uh, he gives the, the senator a whiskey bottle and then reveals about his uh, his indictment for being uh, being caught in a jacuzzi with uh, with hookers and, and cocaine. And he says, well, yeah, I put a microphone in your whiskey bottle. It's like, <laughs> really? Is there any sarin gas in this as well? It's like, yeah. Yes. He is fantastic. There's a very early scene where he's introduced to Tom Hanks' character, and Philip Seymour Hoffman can get so much out of being escorted into and out of a room multiple times. It was like a but, farce, that scene, wasn't yes, it? It was. But it was all a yeah. thing that Charlie Wilson apparently would do when guests would come along so that they could gauge the room, I guess. Yeah. Couple of couple of weird little weird little things. Um, not necessarily directly related to the film, but one thing that I would like to bring up is I watched this on Amazon Prime. It's currently available on Prime in the UK, probably in the states and around the world. Um, but when I started it, it not only had an FBI warning at the beginning on Amazon it, Prime. On Amazon Prime, it also had a blue screen saying that this movie is rated R. <laughs> You're not using it, a VPN, were you? No, no, I was using my brand new 4K TV. Oh, yes, show off. It's still not a 150-inch cinema screen, though, is it? But, hey. It's still 4K, though. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, Charlie Wilson's War, 
this was the final film directed by Mike Nichols uh, before his unfortunate death not long after. For people who know the name Mike Nichols, he directed The Graduate, one of the greatest films ever made. He also uh, directed movies like Closer, uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, uh, Working Girl, starring our favourite pilot, Harrison Ford. Didn't he do The Birdcage as well? I believe he did, yes. Something just at the back of my head was going, I did The Birdcage as well. Um, My research into this, and I did a bit of a refresher course, but I can remember the stuff that I was looking into five weeks ago. Um, I really wanted to get behind the scenes and check out what was factually correct and what wasn't, because the movie does seem quite out there in places. Uh, But the real Charlie Wilson... Uh, was gifted a real Stinger missile, so which that he kept. Real. So, which he kept in his home. Wow! And he was incredibly right. proud of. Now, thankfully, it's not the handheld mock-up missile that expen- that ended up blowing up on set and injuring a special effects assistant during this movie. Ah, oh, yes. Trust me, we are going to be talking about some on-set accidents <laughs> through the course of today. Alec Baldwin um, wasn't originally cast, was he? Ooh. Ooh. That joke is 97 minutes old, like his last movie. Um, this movie has obviously never gotten its release in Russia to this day. <laughs> I wonder why. Well, we can't imagine why. Uh, no. There was a scene I picked up uh, with my surround sound watching on my 150-inch screen when I was watching it five weeks ago. Um, the scene when they do tell me which it is because I might have picked it up on my WDTS 5.1 system. Oh well, quite possibly. Since I only just watched it last night, uh, the scene when they are discussing the Soviet withdrawal and the ramifications of it, you hear jet engines soaring overhead, which is a very subtle nod to 9-11 because that withdrawal obviously opened up the Taliban and Bin Laden yeah. to emerge. And it was like a, ooh, that can't be coincidental. Yeah, <laughs> that this, has to be. It, it, this, it, this came out in 2007. That would be obviously six years after 9-11. So there's very little actually in here, but there are a few kind of like nods as if to say, Oh, this 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 could potentially be on the horizon. Like his whole talk about the uh, the wise man and the, the little kid and the horse, um, and yeah, they they don't they don't talk about any of it. They don't really touch on anything going past the end of. I think it's like about the withdrawal from Afghanistan, which is middle to late ninety eight. As uh, sorry, eighty eight. Um, so there is nothing about 2001. There is nothing about Al-Qaeda. There is nothing about the attack on the, the World Trade Centers or in the Pentagon or anything else. Like yeah, that. well, at the time in 2007, it was it was still kind of raw for people, unless you're mm-hmm. Oliver Stone or United 93, which basically rogued out the shit out of it for you and made, yeah. you, uh, made you face. It's like, nah, sorry, you're going to sit and watch this. Um, this film is also not without a bit of controversy. Okay. And that came from Arthur Kent, who was a Canadian journalist who actually ended up suing the filmmakers for using his material written in the 1980s without authorization on this movie. He ended up. What material? uh, Basically, I think it was a lot of. It might have even been the script, it might have been story aspects of it. Uh, But he was a journalist from Canada. 
Oh, so, okay. uh, but he got a settlement out of court, so obviously he was right. Um, yes, so Charlie Wilson's War, worthy of its certified fresh rating. Um, um, I, I, I'd say it's kind of borderline. Borderline? Really? Uh, borderline, I think... It, the performances are good. The movie is enjoyable to watch. It rattles on at a good pace. Like I said, it seems well-informed. But it also feels like there is just something missing. It's that un- undefinable X factor that probably makes you go, yes, yes, that was a great film. I like the film, but I didn't enjoy the film. Okay. If that makes sense. So it's I, one I, you'd forget about. Yeah. 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 I mean, I could probably say to someone, oh, yeah, you should watch it. You should check it out once. But it's not something that I would go back to personally on a regular basis. There's nothing really there which makes me want to watch it again. Okay. That's yeah. fair. Well, that's fair enough. Okay. Well, yeah. that was our deep dive into, well, not even a deep dive. It was just a dive into Charlie Wilson's war. Shallow paddle. You can find it on Amazon Prime. And if you're in the US, which most of you are, you can find it on probably about 15. Oh, you can find it on Tubi, probably, wherever. Yeah. It's a, it's everywhere. Um, but yes, uh, that is the What's in the Box for this week. Steve, could it be time for some anniversaries? I do believe it is. Someone's excited. Watch them again all of the time Or we get them on Prime for free But we only know how old they are When we learn their anniversary Yes, anniversaries! The the anniversary animation. It's been a while since we've actually seen that. Yay! Yes, well, it's been a while since we've actually done the two-person version of our show. I know. But, um, yeah, <laughs> here we are. I mean... I've got to admit here, we are doing this show the day before the long-awaited The Flash is finally, finally released. After four years, Richard Mirisch, mm-hmm. I saw the pictures of you at the premiere last night, and reviews are really good. I've got to admit, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it very shortly, and I will let you know on a, a future episode. Maybe we'll even pull it out of the box for Steve. It's kind of that time of the year where superhero movies are constantly released because it is the start of the summer and we can feel it. It is freaking roasting right now. <laughs> right, it really is. I'm sweating like crazy. It's, I do apologize. I don't it, look this greasy in real life. It's down to 18 degrees. And I know a lot of people are going, oh, 18 degrees, that's nothing. Yeah, but we're British. And you we're should not have designed been here yesterday. For this. You should have been here yesterday. It was much, much worse. I don't know how it was for you up in the hills, but here it was terrible. Anyway, Steve, we're going to go and take a trip back to our childhood first. Oh, yay. We're going to go back 40 years. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) That would be when our childhood was, Steve. I know. We can't can't hide that shit. That's how how old we are. Um, 40 years ago this week, Superman 3 was released. Ooh, 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 ooh. Yes, it is on the list of movies that traumatized children from the 80s. Oh, that scene. That scene. 
that oh, just yes. being dragged into that machine and metallic bits going on that terrified me oh yeah that that was like right up there with like older like my parents and the child catcher from chitty chitty bang bang that that was it just oh it was so so frigging scary i think it's that that and gamork from the never ending story for me yeah terrified the shit out of me but also this uh terrified me but before we get into that, let's discuss a little history here. Obviously, Superman 3, uh, following from Superman 2, obviously, not only in uh, the adventures of the man in the red, white, and blue, and yellow, uh, also in directors as well. Richard Lester returned from directing Superman 2, or should I say directing some of some Superman of Superman 2. 2. Uh, yeah. Richard Lester is a name that, surprisingly, you may remember from movies as The Beatles' A Hard Day's Night. I did not know that, no. Yes, no. he also directed uh, The Bed-Sitting Club and uh, The Three Musketeers, the one with Oliver Reed and Michael York and Richard Chamberlain and Christopher Lee. Oh! Lord of the Rings fame. Oh, yes. The classics, the classic English ones. Um, so yes, uh, he returned to direct this and it was not a popular decision because some of the cast were still angry that Richard Donner was fired uh, from... Superman 2. Margot Kidder was one of them, which is why in this movie she's reduced to a day player role, mainly over her disgust of the firing over Richard Donner. So she shows up for, I think, three lines at the end of Superman 3. Yeah. But but she is replaced in this movie by... Lana Lang. Lana Lang, played by Annette O'Toole. That was one of my 80s crushes. Yeah. Have you noticed that there was a period of time where every single character in a superhero story had to have an alliterative name. Yes. Clark Kent, Lois Lane, Lana Lang, Peter Parker, Reed Richards, Sue Storm. It, they all had alliterative names. God, they that, got over that's, that. that's, that's creative for you, I guess. Uh, Christopher Reeve also didn't want to return for this movie. Why did he see the script? Uh that actually, funny actually was <laughs> one of the reasons why he didn't want to return. It was also over the Richard Donner thing, and I think he decided to kind of sit on the fence with it and say, "No, I am not returning." And that was all well and fine until um, uh, the people behind it—I can't remember their Siskind and whatever their name is. Oh yeah, Siskel and Eber, or whatever. The, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, them people. Um, they ended up starting to look at recasting. And they finally actually did recast Christopher uh, Christopher Reeve a couple Ooh. of days beforehand, which then um, it resulted in Richard Lester going to Christopher Reeve and begging him to return, uh, to which he did as long as he could um, get an approval over the script. Or the other version of the story being, shit, I'm about to lose out on the Superman role because they are actually going to recast me. Do Who you want to know? Yeah. This is going to make you piss yourself laughing. It, it, it's um, probably going to be something like Dudley Moore or someone like that. Tony Danza. Hold me closer, Tony Danza. <laughs> Tony Danza from Taxi. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. He uh, was going no. to be Superman. But th- this movie... Christopher Reeve did return for. Uh, he had a bit of change over the script, of which I'll get into in a minute. 
but this was also the first time that he got top billing. Yeah, because it was Marlon Brando on the first one, and I think Gene Hackman got top billing on well. the second one. Yeah. Yes. So this was the first time Superman got top billing in a Superman movie. Um, mm. In the original version of the script, Brainiac was supposed to be the main villain. There was also supposed to be another villain supposed to be played by Dudley Moore. <laughs> you are kidding. I am not joking. Oh my god, I don't I don't get any notif- notice no. of anything that Andy pulls out of the box to, not pull out of the box, but anything that he pulls out to do these anniversary segments. Oh my god, yes. Dudley Moore, Ridley. Yes. So uh Alexander Biscand, or whatever their names are, um obviously when that didn't work out, I guess he went off to be Patch in Santa yeah. Claus the movie for them instead. What character we- was he gonna be? Mr. Mrs. Pidlick or something like that? I, I, probably. I don't know. It, it never kind of got past the, the initial kind of stages. He never filmed anything. Uh, also, this movie was supposed to introduce Supergirl. Uh, and obviously, they went off and made their own Supergirl movie with Helen yeah. Slater. I could just imagine Dudley Moore and Richard Pryor on set. Dudley Moore just getting smashed and Pryor just getting stoned. Oh my god, that would I would pay to have been a fly on the wall of that dressing room. Well, Richard Pryor actually got his role in this movie by I think he was on Johnny Carson or some kind of late night talk show, and he was joking about saying, "Oh, I want to be in the next you know Superman movie," and apparently they took him seriously, and he got a record breaking four million to appear wow. in this movie. And he wasn't even the villain. He was the comedy sidekick. You know, he was the comic relief in the movie. Uh, he's just played a, a computer genius who helps... Uh, is it Robert Vaughn? It is Robert Vaughn, isn't it? Yeah, Robert Vaughn, yeah. And, um, yeah, he was the highest paid black actor at that point for that role, wow. replaced only by Eddie Murphy in 1987 for Beverly Hills, Beverly Hills Cop 2. Cop. Wow. Yeah, uh, but Superman 3 was not met well with critics or by fans of the franchise, even the cast themselves. Apparently Christopher Reeve begged his father not to watch it. I don't know if he actually paid him money to watch Superman 4. But yeah. um, it, it did fare pretty well at the box office. It was not a flop, despite what people may believe. It did make money. The main problems being it was released the week between the release of Return of the Jedi and Octopussy. Ah, oh, right. Okay. Which, that's if a, you are it, going to release a big window to come, some yeah, that's a that's a major blockbuster month. You know, kind of like this month with Spider-Man, Transformers, and the Flash, and Indiana Jones as well. Because we less said about that, the better. This is the second movie, the of only two movies that I've heard the song Earth Angel appear in. So the other one was uh, Back to the Future. Yes. Yeah. And this was featured when Clark goes back to his high school reunion and it is the the slow number that is playing in the background. I was like, I know that song. <laughs> <laughs> I would say they were running out of ideas, but Back to the Future yes. came out the year after, so... <laughs> or two years later, even. Um, I thought it was but... 84. No, of course it would be at 85. Uh, you yeah. idiot, Steve. What are you on about? And the thing I love about this is what everyone remembers about this movie is the one where Superman turns into a dick. 
Yeah. <laughs> and he is awesome as bad Superman. I like they must have been there at the meeting. What should we have him do? Oh, what's the most real asshole thing the Superman could do? Straighten the leaning tower of Pisa. <laughs> and then this guy who is uh, a model salesman of the Leaning Tower of Pizza decides to get all of his models straightened, and Superman comes back at the end and, and takes it back to Leaning. It. I was like, "Ooh, that's a double dick move." Yeah. Oh, that guy's lost out on two lots of money. Um, another stupid thing I read about this. I was like, "It can't be true," and I've double fact checked it, and it is true. Um, apparently, this was originally going to be titled Superman versus Superman. Which is uh, dumb. Uh, uh, dumb. Yeah, it's dumb. Yeah. But what's dumber about it? They were. He doesn't fight Superman. No. Well, he does. He fights the evil version of himself. No, Kramer versus Kramer. Kramer versus Kramer <laughs> was going to sue the uh, makers of Superman for calling it Superman versus Superman. Oh, God. Another thing you'll notice about this version of Superman. It is the biggest walking advertisement for Kentucky Fried Chicken you will ever see. And I know the reason why. Now, when this was not filmed at Pinewood Studios, this was filmed, all of the outside stuff, where you'd see the things for KFC, in Calgary. Alberta? Yes. And Calgary is the home of the first ever KFC franchise. Wait, Calgary... In Calgary, Can- in Canada, yes, is the home of the world's first KFC franchise. Yes, wouldn't that be in Kentucky? You'd think so. So it should be Calgary, Calgary fried, fried chicken. chicken. Yes. Yeah, try and work that one out. I-, I might have to go into the to the kitchen and just pour some water on my head because my brain's kind of overheating trying to think about that one. <sighs> What can I say? Um, this movie also has, as Robert Vaughn's main squeeze in the movie, Pamela Stevenson of Not the Nine O'Clock News. Pamela but Stevenson. For Billy Connolly. Yeah. And Billy couldn't get the comedy sidekick role in this over Richard nope. Pryor. He would have worked for a million. Yeah. Mind you, Billy Connolly dies in everything that he's in. Let's pick a Including movie. the Muppet He'd... movie. Yeah. He's, he's like Sean Bean. He has to die in everything. Yeah. except he doesn't say bastard when he does it so yes um, Superman 3, 40 years old with the most traumatic scene of childhood memory other than an Indian boy getting his heart ripped out in the Temple of Doom or the entirety of Return to Oz oh yeah yeah that's, that's rough that's rough yeah. so what's next Okay, let's go back 20 years. We're staying with a bit of a superhero theme here. Spansic Yaren, yeah. Can you believe, Steve, 20 years uh-huh. ago this week, Ang Lee's Hulk was released. Oh, not not a... I've not seen it for a while, but what kind of stuck out for me is that it wasn't a bad movie. It, it was just it was... badly received by it, the yeah. comic book people. When you look back at this movie, it is not a bad movie at all. No, it, it, actually, I would rate this as the first serious superhero movie. I think it opened the doors for Christopher Nolan's Batman movies, for movies like Logan, 
you know, that are really serious, dramatic ones. This was the first one that really took the well, no, subject I, matter seriously. I, I kind of disagree with that because the X-Men, X-Men did debut earlier and yeah, it is more lighter in tone, but it still takes itself pretty seriously as a film. Well, the first one, at least, like Lee said about the third yeah. one and beyond the better, but hmm. yeah, but Hulk was even more serious. Blade, you know, the, that was more comic booky. Come on, dude. really? That was not a serious movie. That that was a pure fantasy movie. Oh, and a guy turning twenty foot tall and having massive green testicles isn't. Yeah, and has he has a butt shot in this one too? Yeah. Um. Well, anyway, the reason being. Hulk was directed by Ang Lee, which and you wouldn't like huge... him when he's Ang Lee. <laughs> you know, I, I'm equally parts disappointed and incredibly impressed that you got that joke. <laughs> I wonder if anyone's ever said that to him on the street. Oh, they probably uh, have done, and he's punched them. Yeah, I mean, you look at Ang Lee's credits, right? And he was kind of oddly placed as a director of this because just mm-hmm. a couple of years before, he'd done Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which was a, a sweeping martial arts epic that completely dominated all award ceremonies everywhere. Oh, yeah. Also, he'd done uh, movies like The Wedding Banquet, Life of Pi, uh, yep. about 10 years ago, uh, Lust Caution, all of them like really serious character study movies. So to come in and do a Marvel property, you know, that was something where. I don't think anyone expected it. But to be honest, I mean, I watched it again and I've got a better appreciation of it than a lot of the Marvel movies that come out nowadays. Uh, I thought it was a very bold choice to present it as an actual comic book. So you actually have the comic book panels during the movie. I actually think if you are going to be having, uh, out, out of a lot of superheroes having the hulk is probably the best one to have like a character study of because it is that very definite duality the jekyll and hyde the good and the bad of someone so if you've got someone who's very very skilled at doing those kind of films then he is absolutely the perfect choice to helmet it's just it just didn't it came out at the wrong time i don't think audiences were prepared for it and i think if it had come out a few years later 10 even five years later, it might have been better received. Like you say, well, the comic book panels, I think, took a lot of people by surprise. Yeah. Um, <sighs> they, they weren't ready for an arty superhero movie. It's a very no. misunderstood movie. And you go back and look at it now, it is nowhere near as bad as you may initially have thought once you've kind of gotten over that. You know, we're now in the era where Deadpool is doing the, you know, breaking the fourth wall and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You know, I think people would have a place for this movie. And to be honest, it has the best Thunderbolt Ross of all time with Sam Elliott. He oh, was God, yeah. made for that role. Now, all credit to William Hurt, and obviously now we've got Harrison Ford taking over that role. Yeah. But, but Thunderbolt Ross as as Sam Elliott is incredible. I mean, the man is 90% moustache. <laughs> yes, it, and it, apparently on. he wanted to shave it off for the role, but Ang Lee spoke talked that the character um, apparently the, the character of Thunderbolt Ross in the comics had his moustache and that in the comic book but in real life in the military someone of his rank as a general you'd be, would not you'd be have clean shaven. Yeah. so Sam was prepared to get rid of that moustache 
God it's a pity him. then that he didn't come back to rec- reclaim the role. I mean, no offense to Harrison Ford, but the two are of fairly comparable age. Yeah. Why not? Why not get the big old Sam Elliott back in there? Yeah. <laughs> well, obviously, I mean, this was kind of rebooted as the Incredible Hulk to be part of the MCU, mm-hmm. but. This did have a crossover character. I'm not sure if it's the same character or not, but it did have one. So both this and The Incredible Hulk have Lou Ferrigno playing a security guard. Yes, yes, they do. Lou Ferrigno has been in a lot of The Incredible Hulk stuff, not just as The Incredible Hulk. And the animated stuff, yeah. The animated stuff, he usually voices the Hulk. He does the the voice of the Hulk in the, the Marvel superhero games. Yeah. Um, he he pops up all over the place. Basically, if there's a version of the Hulk, and he's not actually playing him, he will pop up in it. You know, fair play yeah. to the guy. Yeah, you know, he he's he's made a career out of that Incredible Hulk role. He actually yeah. looks. Last time I saw him, he looked more buff now. Obviously, he's getting on a bit, but he looked more buff now than he did when uh, when when he when he was actually playing the part back in the seventies or eighties, whenever exactly. it was. Let's not forget, I mean, obviously it was Eric Banner in this movie mm-hmm. who was playing the Hulk, and this was kind of his first big major US role following his breakthrough in Chopper, yep. which is an incredible movie, really is. Uh, completely different from any Eric Banner you will ever see. So chubby in that movie as well, it's scary. Um, what we also have here is Nick Nolte uh, playing a kind of Unnamed character uh, who turns out to be Eric Banner's, well, Bruce David Banner, whoever the fuck his name is. Yeah, the naming convention is a bit weird. The actual character's name is Bruce Banner. But then when they made the TV show, they changed it to David Banner for reasons best known to themselves. Then when it came to do this movie, you had the main character, the Hulk, was Bruce Banner. And then his dad suddenly became David Banner. Yes. And the one thing I will create Nick Nolte in his movie, he is giving it his all. He is in a completely different movie. He is king leering this performance. Oh, God. Like yeah. you would not believe. And doing a great job on it. And turns into this, I guess, the villain of the piece at the end. The villain comes yeah. extremely late in this movie. Yeah, it's all kind of like the human villains and the yes. Thunderbolt Ross and whoever the the, the, the other guy is that's, uh, that's trying to capture the Hulk and turn him into a weapon and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, then right at the end, he goes up against... I think I think that is probably the weakest part of the film, um, that when you do end up in a situation where you just have two CGI lumps that are slapping each other around, you lose any kind of real grounding. Yes. Uh, he, he turns into this big kind of energy, cloud, storm, elemental force... And then the Hulk fights him, but it's just lots of shots of the Hulk kind of swirling around with, Aah! and yeah. it, it, you lose any kind of human moment. And part of me would have liked to have seen Hulk, 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 and then at the very end, it had to be Bruce that was going up against his dad. Yeah. You know, kind of brain it back and have the human element of it kind of take over and win the day instead of it just being brute force and muscles. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, I, I'm kind of a bit defensive on this movie for for a number of things. I mean, this was the first movie to have that Sonic the Hedgehog style backlash. So when mm. first trailers were released 
for this movie, a lot of fans were complaining about the look of the Hulk and you know how it looked in the same way that they did with Sonic the Hedgehog, and they ended up yeah. going back. I think Galen Hurd, who was the producer on this, super producer that she is, um, she did regret releasing the trailer a bit earlier without the work having been properly rendered for what the Hulk would look like. Um, but that's look- kind of an excuse, maybe. I think maybe the fact yeah, he, that they looked at it and said, "Yeah, we need to go back and." He did look a little bit plasticky, but even today, it it wasn't really up until kind of I'd say around about Endgame, Infinity War, where you yeah. were able to have something like Thanos, and it looked like a proper, real, emotive character. It, right up until then trying to create a humanoid character which actually looked and felt alive was still incredibly difficult. Even through uh, The Incredible Hulk, he still looks janky. I probably think he actually looks worse in that one than he did Mm. in Hulk. Yeah, he looked too tall and stretched out. Far too too sinuous. It's almost like there was too much detail into it. They kind of skewed the other way. Found a happy balance with the Avengers, but even then, it wasn't really until a little bit later that you just felt, okay, this works. This looks like the Hulk. Yeah, a lot of trial and error. And um, the thing I remember about this movie is, well, it still holds uh, the mantle to this day of being the worst online leak in cinema history. So this film was leaked online, by mm-hmm. a guy called Kerry Gonzalez. Now, Kerry Gonzalez had a friend who worked at the ad agency who were handling this movie, and they had a kind of a pre-visualization copy of it. CG was not finished. There was loads of temporary shots in there. The, the same kind of thing happened years later with Wolverine, X-Men Origins, and trust me, it didn't make the movie any better. Um, but this got leaked online in that form, and a lot of people obviously downloaded it, and saw this unfinished version of the movie, and that kind of affected its release in a lot of way, because a lot of these people obviously didn't go and see this movie because they were watching an incomplete version of this movie and judged it basically on that. And to be honest, there's nothing sicker than that kind of shit happening in this business. I mean, what happened with the mummy? Desperate are you? The mummy trailer. That that was just a trailer. Exactly. But yes, it, it still is remembered as the worst leak. With probably X Men Origins being not far behind it, uh, the film was a massive hit though. It made two hundred forty-five million, uh, and it was one of two thousand three's biggest movies. Believe what was it or the budget? Uh, it's a good question, but it was nowhere near two hundred forty-five million. Right. Okay. Um, so it it was a big hit. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of the backlash that Ang Lee received. Uh, made him contemplate retirement from movies. And he'd not even been making movies 10 years. You know, just about 10 years he'd been making movies. This was his first foray into a real Hollywood movie. The the fans and critics and everything just bombarded him. Some critics were actually really nice about it. But thankfully he didn't. He rebounded with Brokeback Mountain, Mm. which solidified him. And he goes on to win best, you know, best director, best film and everything. Uh, well, it didn't win Best Film because Crash did, but it won the slew of awards. And, you know, we're thankful that the whole Hulk experience did not deter Ang Lee. And I think we haven't even 
mentioned here that the best version of Betsy Ross actually exists in this movie, which is Jennifer Connelly. Mm. Always Jennifer Connelly. Always Jennifer Connelly. No offense to Liv Tyler, but no. Jennifer Connelly looked like Betty Ross. She acted the way Betty Ross should have, and she yeah. should still have that role now. Right. So that's actually two that I've seen now on the bounce. Ooh. Yeah, I think you're going to do well this week because I reckon you've seen the third one. All right, then. What is it? What have we got? Okay. We're only going back 10 years. Okay. And funny enough, it showed up in uh, my Facebook memories of all places because I was in LA when the premiere of this film was happening at the Man's Chinese Theatre and me and Glenn Roof were there. 10 years ago uh, this week, Monsters University was released. Okay. Okay, yeah, I've seen all three, uh, which well, is a rarity first... for me. That is a rarity. Um, you are the summer blockbuster man. Not really got a huge amount to say about this. It's it, it it kind of up there in the realm of unnecessarily sequels. I don't think it's particularly yes. bad, but it doesn't do anything really outstanding. It doesn't add much to the universe. It's a series of wacky hijinks, really, and the it's in terms of story, the the original is better. Well, yes, the original is always going to be better. I mean, I do like this. I mean, there's some things about it that really jar me, of which I will get into in a minute. But before I do, uh, let's talk. Obviously, this was directed by a first timer, Dan Scanlon, uh, who went on to direct just recently, Onward. Uh, okay, which came out a few years ago. Uh, he's also um, one of the main executives at, uh, I think, Disney Pixar now. So he is very noticeable for his work behind Lightyear. And if you want to go back a bit further, uh, there was a mockumentary that you should check out called Tracy, uh, which you should look for because I know you like your mockumentaries, but that's all I'm going to say. Anyway, okay. um, yes, uh, the runaway success of Monsters, Inc. called for a sequel. Well, as it prequel. would with anything. Well, a prequel. Yes. Uh, it was supposed to happen in 2005, but um, there was the obviously dispute between Michael Eisner at Disney and Steve Jobs at Pixar, uh, which was uh, highly publicized. Mm -hmm. uh, so this film obviously was about as expected as a Pizza Planet truck and John Ratzenberger in a Pixar movie. <laughs> which appear in pretty much every single Pixar movie going. Except um, recent ones. John Rosenberger doesn't seem to be doing them as much. Yeah. I think I think the last one that I ever noticed him in was Coco. I don't I don't think I've seen any of the, the oh, other yeah. ones since where he's shown up. I definitely don't remember him in Luca. I haven't I haven't seen a lot of the recent ones, but I'd be surprised no. he must be in there somewhere. Um but yeah the Jobs and Eisner uh being at odds ended up with this being um circulated to an in-house Disney animation company called Circle 7 Animation mm -hmm. uh, instead of Pixar. And I think they were working on initial designs of it because they'd been working on initial sequel ideas to Story Story and Finding Nemo, which obviously happened much later. Yeah. So it would be Toy Story 3 and um, Finding, Finding Dory. Finding Dory, yeah. Yes. Uh, but obviously Disney ended up buying Pixar. And this was put back on, and that effectively killed off Circle Seven Animation. Uh, they went under pretty much nearly enough straight away as soon as Disney picked up Pixar. So a lot of those people probably lost their jobs. 
Um, this is the only time, this is surprising, this is the only ever Pixar movie that is a prequel. Mm. <sighs> I'm, I'm trying to rack my brain now so to think if I, to see if I can think of any. Um, All the others are sequels yeah, or spin-offs. I think, I think you're right. I mean, the closest one I could possibly think of is is Lightyear, but that is supposed to be the film no, which it. the characters yeah. in Toy based Story on. are based on. Yes. That's the closest that I can think of. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can we have the... less meta now, please? Yeah. I think please. we're done with meta. Meta uh, well, and multiverses. Done... We've had enough of those Hol- now. We're done with Hollywood blockbusters at the moment. Disney's put everything back by about a year. Good. <laughs> Gives us time to recover. Um, this had a $200 million budget and it made $743 million. That's the, the Pixar Disney effect on movies. Um, so the, this is the story, obviously, of how Mike and Sully meet in university. And when you take that into consideration, it makes one line in Monsters, Inc., where they knew each other irrelevant. at school. Yeah. You've been jealous of my look since fourth grade or something like something that. Something like that. Yeah. Makes no goddamn sense. It makes no sense whatsoever. And they've kept them in. They haven't even gone and retconned that line at all. Um, this was also the first Pixar film to use global illumination in their rendering system. Mm-hmm. Now, what that means is artists would not have to build reflections and shadows manually. So this software actually generated it for them, and they have been yes. using that ever since. This was the first one to use it. Yeah. Uh, at the moment, Monsters University stands as the 10th highest grossing animated film of all time. I am actually quite surprised it being that high. I am, when you consider how many other animated films it has beaten. And um, and I've got to be honest, it's, it's, it's a fun movie. There are some nice moments in there. Um, Helen Mirren as the Dean. Yes. Can't go wrong with a bit of Helen Mirren. Always adds class and tone. Um, can't go wrong with Steve Buscemi in any <laughs> animated character. No, no. Uh, oh, God, what is the name of his character in... Randall. Randall, that's it, yeah. Yeah, he comes across as a nice guy at the beginning and then ends up getting screwed over by it all. Uh, but, yeah, it's just... It, it's... It's kind of forgettable in in a lot of ways. It's it kind of if it's on, I'll go. Oh yeah, Monsters University. Yeah. I wonder what else is on. It will fill the time, but I don't think anyone's ever going to cry out for any more of Mike and Sully um, following it. Uh, no. Monsters Inc. was the best uh, in this franchise. I mean, this was also the first Pixar movie. Uh, that was not nominated for an Oscar or a Golden Globe. Mm. So every single Disney Pixar movie had been nominated for either or both, and this was the first time that they received no nominations in those categories. So the bloom was off the uh, the yeah. Pixar rose when it came to this. Yeah, I mean Disney Pixar, they're still they're still good. I'm not a big fan of the animation style and how it's all kind of switched to a more uh, a more kind of like anime slash Steven Universe kind of style with big round mouths now and, mm. and the way that it looks. I'm not a big fan <laughs> of... Big That's t- going back to our 
Luca conversation from like episode little, four. A little bit, but even like the animation style on things like uh, Turning Red, I'm not. I I don't, I don't like it. I find it irritating. No, it's targeted. It's just it's me. mainly Steve, you grumpy old bastard. Yeah, I am a grumpy old bastard. And these are Sue monsters. Me. They're not even humans. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, Monsters University is 10 years old this week. I like Monsters University, and I I remember fond memories of me and Glenn Roof being on Hollywood Boulevard when the people were out in the costumes, and uh, we were winding up the Hollywood Boulevard performers. Yes. Good old days. Yeah. Did you go to the Hooters opposite uh, Man's Chinese Theatre as well? Funny if there is a video where we're there and we notice Hooters uh, across the street. Yeah. Ah, uh, yes. The good old days. Um, but yes, that is the anniversaries for this week, Steve. And you saw all three of them. That is extremely rare. Yes, I I, I, I should win a prize of some sort. However, I don't get rewarded on this show. I get punished. And the worst punishment is yet to come. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Ah, what's in the box? Ah, what's in the box? Well, it's been a while. It really has. Six weeks. Something like that. Slightly missed it. I know. Strange, I know. Good enough. And you know what? Soon as though the show is going to be changing format and more of that in a moment. Mm Mm-hmm. I am going to fill you in on the box. <gasps> oh, you see, so, folks, it does exist. It does exist. Yes. It does exist. And yes, in the box is oh. little pieces of paper with names of movies on them. Now, the whole point of what's in the box for you people who are new, Steve is a cinema philistine. He has not seen hardly any movies apart from kind of the popularest movies or really kind of random choices. So we want to educate him on what I guess the critics claim are essential cinema mm-hmm. and see what his take is. Sometimes it's surprising, sometimes it's teeth, and sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, the, there is stuff that really gets him angry. But it's fun nonetheless. So, Steve. Okay. Are you ready for what's in the box? Yep. Let's start the music. Thank you, Bruce. Okay. Number one. Okay. Now we've we, what is it? We've got up to five in the past. Yeah, we're never going to break that. No, never. we're not. That was, that was a pure look of stretch, and I blame the Disney movies that we pulled out <laughs> that got that far because <laughs> you have kids now. Yeah, that was the excuse. Well, this isn't even rigged. But I think you've seen it anyway, but I find it really kind of funny that we've been talking about superheroes. Okay. And Iron Man, the first Iron Man movie gets pulled out. Ah, oh, please, I'm the one that brought that up earlier. Come on, man, come on. What are you giving to me here? Come on. Yeah, so you've seen that. Yes. One down. Two. Phase one of the MCU was the best. Yeah. yeah. Least complicated first time. Before Overkill happened. Yeah. Oh, okay. Ooh, what do you see in this one? Uh, and funnily enough, this is very relevant today. Steve. Okay. 
the second movie pulled from what's in the box. <laughs> it's 2007. Oh, no. They're not escaping this year, dude. No, man. Uh, the movie is the Coen Brothers' No Country for Old Men. No! <laughs> oh. No. This is actually one of my favorite movies, so this is going to be very interesting. Yes, um, I I have seen I've seen like a little I've seen a little clip of that. I've seen uh, uh, what's his name Javier Bardem, Santon Chigger in the uh, in the gas station. Oh, brilliant! Which was just it's... I just seeing that one scene. I was just like, oh boy! I, I I cannot be unbiased about this film. It is possibly one of the greatest films of this century, and I I will honestly say, a hundred years from now, it will still show up in. Mm the top 100 of the 2000s. It um, is simply incredible. And I do like the Coen brothers. So bring it uh, on. Uh, yes, absolutely perfect. And and that will be on, uh, on our What's in the Box in a couple of weeks. And this is why we kind of have to explain now uh, the reason mm-hmm. why there is going to be a little change. Now, poor Steve has been incredibly overworked with our new format. And I think we both have. Uh, and the main reason being is because a lot more people are showing active interest in Pottywood and we're wanting to get all these guests on. We're really mm-hmm. wanting to engage. Our viewerships are going up. Yeah. And, you know, we want to enjoy doing this. And for one, we are going to need you to subscribe because it makes the job worth it. Really does. Hit the bottom really down does. below. The more subscribers that we get, the more that we feel like, yay, we're reaching out there. We can start really, really pushing the envelope on some of this content. Hey. Exactly. And no more is that so in the fact that our next episode, uh, we have got Levi Tran. Mm-hmm. And Levi Tran is one of the biggest breakout stars. She is about to debut as a member of the Expendables team in Expendables 4 this September. And she is looking forward to coming on our show. Uh, she's been watching some of the recent episodes. She really likes it. And she wants to come on and, and talk about her career. And that is absolutely huge. I don't think we've seen her on any podcast recently. No. So for us to kind of get this, you know, upfront view of what it was like on The Expendables 4, joining this male-dominated franchise, and she is kick-ass. If you've seen the trailer already, she is incredible. Uh, she is going to be on our next episode with me and Steve. Mm-hmm. Now... Following that, uh, me and Steve had to kind of sit down and think, okay, we really want to carry on doing this, but we don't want to burn out. So what's the best way that we can do this? And so we're proud to announce that we have two additional hosts who are going to be doing one show each a month. Yes, uh, not one, but two folks. Two folks. Now, one of them, you already know. He joins us pretty much every single month to come and bust on some movies and tell some jokes and do some incredibly bad Paul Verhoeven impressions. Jonas Barnes will be joining me on an episode uh, every other week uh, while Steve recuperates and concentrates Hello, Jonas. on Hello, Jonas. How are you doing? Yes, it's very, very good to have you on. <laughs> exactly. And also, uh, a great friend of ours, uh, a member of our team when we go out and filming and stuff, and uh, she is absolutely incredible. Joanne Parker will be mm-hmm. joining us. If you don't know who Joanne Parker is yet, you are going to as soon as she comes onto this show. Uh, she's a natural. Uh, she's going to be helping me on uh, some episodes once a month as well with a guest. And obviously, 
our regular show that people respond to, the people who love what's in the box, the anniversaries, and just the kind of zany fun that me and Steve have. Twice a month, we will be doing this regular show. Yes, we will. We know we're not going to be taking away the goodness. We're going to be adding to it. Think think of this. Think of what you're getting now as like your regular meal. Now we're going to be adding some spices and some flavorings as well as maybe some fries on the side. And, and you deserve it. So at the end of the day, there, there has been occasions where it's gone over a week or a week and a half to where we've not been able to get an episode out because of schedules and because you know Steve works and I work. And we've got a lot going on. But now with the two new team members that we have, we will, by the look of it, be getting an episode out a week. And they'll be varied. So you will have the regular episode with us. You'll have a guest episode. And we, we may even splurge on uh, some After Dark as well for yes. you Patreon people. You know, ju- just if we have an extra half hour left in our body and we just want to shoot the shit on an audio version, you'll get Poddy with After Dark in our luxurious jazz bar setting. Yes, because that's the only place where we can legitimately go online to say without it being bleeped. Yes. You get everything you love, but you get it more. Yes. And with and- Zyder. You get it with yes. cider as well. Because it's bloody warm out here, so we're having the cider news somewhere. <laughs> but no, uh, we thank you all uh, for tuning in and joining us for an hour out of your week, every mm-hmm. week. It means a hell of a lot to us. We enjoy uh, coming on and just talking and having fun. And, and we are going to be having our 100th episode where we will be bringing back the quiz. And it's amazing. How many of our recent guests have said, I want on in it? <laughs> so yep. Gino Anthony Pessi has already said he wants in on it. Sarah Hennessy has already said she wants in on it. No doubt Ellen Dubin. No doubt. Um, Richard Mirish has got to come back as well. <sighs> well, he's, he's a big time producer now. Who knows? Yeah, but he, you know, he's got to defend his crown. <laughs> Don't we'll if Richard Mirish now. doesn't come on, John Mirish is going to suffer for him. <laughs> And if John Mirish loses his title for him, he will never hear the end of it, I guarantee no, you. That'll be one Thanksgiving that you wouldn't want to go to. Yes. Yeah. But thank thank you to everyone who has helped to share and get the word out and, you know, inv- invited people to watch our show. It, it's, a, it's a humble little thing that me and Steve started from our bedrooms, separated by a pandemic. And we like to just take the time to just come and talk about film. You know, and find out some things that maybe you didn't even know. And we want you to engage with us. So message us, comment, mm-hmm. uh, leave likes, leave suggestions if you want. If you want to get in touch with us, then as we do every week, the details are just popping up right below. You can get us on facebook.com forward slash Pottywood. You can get us on Twitter at Pottywood. You can get us on the r slash Pottywood subreddit. Or you can get us on LinkedIn or, you know, fire off a warning flare and see if you hit something. Maybe. Couldn't put it better myself. Yes. So in the meantime... Uh, We've also got the Patreon. Oh. Well, we didn't mention <laughs> Patreon earlier. We didn't mention the bits about it, so... No, uh, the Patreon is uh, is all for the price of a cup of tea. It's like £3 a month, and you get audio versions of these episodes early. And as well as that, because we are moving into having a few new cast members on, we will probably maybe likely be doing Pottywood after dark as a patreon special and also the occasional offcut of one of the main shows that we just couldn't put out on youtube because otherwise we'd get demonetized yes 
and that's all. Things can get pretty risque when you're in a jazz bar setting. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, I think we got all of our stuff in there. That's what she said. Ooh. uh. So with that in mind, it is a goodbye from me. And I'll catch you next week also. Bye. Getting more of that cider, don't be getting the apples.